Engaging conversation on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Well, hello, I'm Janet Morena, the Executive Director of Priests for Life. Welcome to our program. Well, I bet many of you have wondered, in the medical profession, how does a doctor who's in residency in medical school and going into OBGYN, you know, and being trained to deliver babies, then also ends up aborting babies? How does that happen? And why in the medical profession are we training doctors how to deliver and, and help a baby thrive, but also insisting they learn how to kill a baby in abortion? Well, joining me today is a dear friend of mine and Father Pavone's and our ministry. This, this doctor uh, was in that situation and converted to be 100% pro-life, no longer doing abortions, but also founding a medical uh, center to help pregnant women. But I bet you want to learn more about how did he make that transformation and what's going on in the medical profession today. Well, joining me is Dr. John Buchowski, and he's also written a new book, and we're going to hear about that too. So let's introduce him to us now. Welcome, John, Dr. John. Hey, Janet. It's great to be with you this morning. I know. Well, like I alluded to, you know, you were in medical school and then residency. Explain to everyone what happens in, you know, currently the uh, Association of American OBGYNs and medical schools and all that, obviously training doctors how to deliver babies, but then also training them to abort the babies. What's, what's exactly, tell us about your experience and, and what happens. Sure. So uh, for the last 50 years, Janet, Roe has been the law of the land. And so medical practices um, are encouraged and, you know, pushed to provide all reproductive health services, including abortion care. And so when you're in private practice, you need to either refer or do the procedure. Well, in residency, it's basically we've learned ethics that it's patient autonomy, whatever the patient wants. And you have religious rights, but they're infringing on access to abortion. So the pressure is put to perform those procedures. Now, during my residency, I was a, I really was lukewarm. Um, I became like a people pleaser and I didn't want to push back. So I started allowing the professor to teach me first trimester and then the second trimester because abortion is abortion on demand. And so that happened during the first two years of my residency and during my medical school training, I was buying the status quo that abortion is good health care. And that's how it's pushed today. Okay. And so what years were you in res just to give us a frame of the picture? What sure. years? So I'm were 62, you Janet. I was born in 1960 and I was in medical school from 83 to 87. And then in an OBGYN residency at Eastern Virginia School of Medicine and the Jones Institute from 87 to 91. So right. from 83 all the way to 91, I was in my training. 
And, you know, to frame it, too, for the, for our, our people here listening, um, those were the years when abortion was just on a steady incline, right? I mean, it was exploding. Uh, abortion uh, mills were opening up all over the country. I mean, it, it was, and then, of course, when you, 91, well, then in, ushers in Bill Clinton, who just unleashed even more abortion with, with you know, being in office for eight years. So from the 80s to the 90s, I would say those were the peak years of abortion being like everywhere, everywhere you turned, it was cropping up, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. You have your finger on the pulse there. The paradox that became, that became apparent even then was... The abortion numbers were going up. Mantra Clinton, I believe, was safe, legal, and rare. Right. Rare was not fully developed or even spoken of. But the real paradox was if abortion was so good, why didn't more doctors do them? So this constant underground, uh, Janet, we need more abortion doctors because back then it was only doctors. We didn't have providers yet. Right. Abortion is so good. I want your audience to ask themselves if it's so good. Most doctors do it. Right. That was something that really provoked me. And I know it provokes medical students when I speak at, you know, in those venues. Yeah. So, so in your case now, um, can you think back, I mean, you know, your first abortion, your second abortion, your third one, like when you were doing them, were you beginning to get conflicted or in the beginning, you know, I always remember another abortionist, Dr. Tony Levitino said, well, I thought of it as a job well done, you know, as a doctor, like I, I did the procedure. It was a good procedure. Patient's fine. It's a job well done. Is that how you felt in the beginning? And when did you transform it to the point where you said, I can't do this any longer? Like, at what point did you make that transformation? So, um, so Tony and I share that same sentiment. The status quo is that elective abortion is part of your specialty. You don't want to refer it out. So I wanted to learn and be the best OBGYN I could be because I thought that's what and healthy, whole, and free to live their life as they saw fit. Now, in the early cases, I still had to take a breath in and steal myself because we know intellectually that abortion is the ending of an unborn fetal life. But once again, you cognitively push it out of your mind because, like Tony said, you're doing a job well done. Well, my parents, God rest their soul, when I was younger, consecrated me to the sacred and immaculate heart. And uh, I knew from an early age that life, be life began at fertilization, at conception, the fruit of the womb, um, the immaculate, you know, just life begins at conception. But as I went through education, that became less and less important. It was more social justice, give people what they need to liberate themselves, to live a healthier life, to liberate the poor. And abortion was just part of that. The language and lexicon was right there. However, you get to the bigger 
the babe, unborn children, you then have to count body parts once the bones get calcified in order to make sure you've done a job well done. So that job well done, when you really realize that abortion is trimesters for any reason whatsoever at the will of the woman who's your patient consumer and you're providing health care. So we've gone from mother and child unwanted pregnancy, fetus, sexually transmitted disease. And that became more and more real and tangible to my hands because as they get older, Janet, when you dismember them, they push back. And that reverberation, which is existent, which is bodily, it's you on another human being, a human life, it goes to your heart. And I just found myself each time getting harder and harder and harder and harder. And so it was the experience. I think it was my parents planting those seeds as a younger person. And then the medical data kept coming in. There's an association probably with mental health issues, suicides. There's an association with preterm birth. That's becoming more and more of a problem, especially with all the in vitro fertilization, multiple pregnancies. That became an issue starting in the 90s. And then um, abortion and breast cancer. So I was being bombarded internally and externally, the, you know, the head and the heart. So, so at what point did you finally uh, say, like, did you, was there a defining moment where you said, I will no longer do an abortion anymore, period, amen. That's it. I can no longer do that. Was there a defining moment where you just said, that's it? You drew the line in the sand? So I was, Janet, so like most Americans, I'm very lukewarm and I want to please those around me. So I needed, like, I'm a dull, you know, I'm a dull instrument here. You know, God had to hit me over the head because I was just tolerating it. I was increasing my deep breath in, hardening of the heart, doing a good job, focusing on that. So here I am in my residency, in a, in on labor and delivery, probably uh, in, somewhere in late 1988. One room saving a child because the mother wanted it. I was only giving my all because the mother wanted a, a baby that was over a pound big. It was probably, you know, it was 22 and a half weeks, supposedly. I was using medication, I was using my heart and my brain to kind of keep this baby alive and healthy so we can get it to a point to have that child live. The other room, right in the next room, was a woman who was in the same situation, but kind of realized this is just too much for me. I don't want to deal with this. Get rid of it. And I did so. I never took a good history. I broke her water, gave her medicine, and delivered this baby, this fetus. It was big enough, and it looked big to me. So I picked it up and threw it on the scale, and it was over 500 grams. And I had to call the neonatal intensive care doctor. And that's when the data, the experience,
experience of ending the life of another member of the human family struck me because she said, John, stop treating my patients as tumors. I now have to care for this woman that you ignored the fetus, the child, come see me and have coffee tomorrow morning. And at that coffee, this wise woman basically said, what are you doing? You're better than this. Your patients deserve better than this. Come on, man. What are you doing? The lines outside of your clinic are long. I hear patients saying they really like you because you listen. You're good at PMS. You're good at endometriosis. You're really a good OB doctor. You go the extra mile. You follow up. You do house calls. This is absolutely in that way, John, you have two patients. OBGYNs care for two, mother and child. It doesn't depend on someone else's decision about the affecting of the life of the littlest or the weakest. And oh, by the way, I know you don't go to church anymore, but um, I just got back from uh, a place called Medjugorje. It really made a difference. I think you should go. Now, before I started my residency, I heard a voice at Guadalupe that said, why are you hurting me? I blew it off, uh, Janet. I think the Lord has a funny way. He's a funny dude, as I say. He's a really interesting father. He constantly is after you, trying to get you to move closer. He's coming to you. I'll be darned if um, it was at that moment that my mother called a few days later after the doctor confronted me. She said, hey, do you want to go somewhere for winter break? How about Yugoslavia? How about Medjugorje? I said, okay, yeah, sure, I'll go. Now, at night, I was working in a pregnancy center, believe it or not, run by the Assembly of God Church. And at night, I was learning how to provide alternatives to abortion. During the day, I was an OBGYN residency. And it was that cognitive dissonance, that rip, my body, soul, and spirit, he got me to say no more but it wasn't my choice it was literally the process i was in the people that i was meeting as well as the love of uh, the immaculate and sacred hearts right so <clears throat> i'm sure people want to know then <clears throat> because i think today even doctors are still you know medical students and residents are still grappling with this <clears throat> you must have got to at a point then to show up at work where you said I'm no longer yeah. going to do terminations. I'm no longer going to do abortions. What did you get pushback? Did you have yeah. problems? What sure. happened? So what happened is, is that I came back from Yugoslavia understanding a better way of approaching medicine. Um, be the most excellent doctor you can be caring for two patients. See the underserved daily amongst everyone else. And oh, by the way, follow the teachings of my son's church in tradition and scripture. So when I came back, I told my my dominant professor, Dr. Georgiana Jones, I can't do abortions anymore. And she kind of rolled her eyes back and said, oh, my God, you found Jesus. Um, well, please, I respect that. But uh, we're going to miss you. But uh, don't tell your other residents. Well, when I left that doctor's appointment, there was a young medical student there from the Church of Latter-day Saints, and he took me out for pizza. And he was so happy that my heart had changed. So on labor and delivery, I began to tell people what had happened about the brutality 
as well as I just can't do it anymore. I don't think it's good medicine. In fact, I know it's not. And there's some data that's beginning to crop up that it's not as good as we thought. So, 20 residents, I would say that 14 or 15 stopped boarding sick children almost immediately. They just needed an example. And it was really about conversation. To talk amongst ourselves because remember, abortion is part of the shadows. It's not really talked about except in some very few residency programs that are trying to increase the number of abortionists. Remember, there are less and less doctors doing abortions. Now, part of that is because I think maybe we're moving to the medical abortion, but that's another topic. I can just tell you that were decreasing throughout the 90s and 2000s. And that's why there was the, that's why they started to talk about access problems because there just weren't enough men and women to end the life of the child. Because I think we were getting better science. We were getting better uh, ultrasounds, better um, by, you know, better testing. And uh, I really believe that that change in science really put a dent in many physicians not providing direct elective surgical abortion. Right. And, and I you know, can John, tell you, yeah, go ahead, Janet. No, I'm saying, and I think that's why uh, in a lot of liberal states like New York and California, in their laws, they started passing laws to say, you don't even have to be an OBGYN to do an abortionist, you know, any medical degree. And then in some states they said, well, nurse practitioners can do abortions now. In California, nurse practitioners, doulas, and they keep expanding the lower and lower and lower rungs of the medical profession, almost level entry. Just about anyone can do a surgical abortion. And um, <clears throat> when you think about that, uh, John, and I, it, it just baffles me, women, like why would you want a, a less than skilled person doing such an invasive procedure into your body? And as you know, we know, so many women have suffered physical damage from abortion that the only child they ever were able to conceive because of the damage was the one they aborted. So like, you know, th that's the answer. They saw supply and demand of doctors going down, like you're saying. And so then a Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry said, well, we got to change the tactics here. We have to start letting many other people other than real MDs do abortions, you know? So I think that was a response. But, you know, here's the question I get very often. Maybe you can help to answer it. There's the association of the American Association of OBGYNs, right? And then among that group, there's another subsatellite group called the pro-life OBGYNs. Why, why do we have to have a separate subset? And why can't we get the whole OBGYN group to say, yeah, we all should not be doing abortions. We all should be pro-life. I mean, what's the political struggle there, would you say? Oh, Janet, I, once again, uh, young lady, I think you have your, you know, you have your finger on the pulse. In 1973, it was an elite cadre of our leadership in the American College of OBGYN that were eugenic, but then they saw an opportunity politically. This wasn't a science decision. The science didn't change in 73. 
it was a political maneuver that once again, if you can get some top clergy in the old fashioned religions that used to dominate people's hearts, now we worship science. So the head, the leadership of the American College of OBGYN, believe it or not, since 1973, have never come against any common sense law for abortion. They literally pushed it from the top and they began to change the definition. Life doesn't begin until implantation. Life doesn't begin until the mother says so. We don't have bioethics anymore that has objective truth. We have situational ethics and patient autonomy becomes dominant. And I become a vendor in the healthcare system. I'm no longer a medicine doctor who's a professional who cares about the whole person. No, you provide the service because it's access and reproductive health is what we're doing. They shifted mother with child, fruit of the womb to reproductive health and fetus. And this came from above. The definitions changed like magic. There was never a, there was never a vote in the American College of OBGYNs. Who in the audience thinks we should do this? It was levied on us. It was forced on us. And I think that's the reason, because now we now have heard from the American College that the heart, the fetal heart, doesn't really develop until 17 to 20 weeks when all the chambers are there. Well, why did they do that? It's a political ploy to answer the 15 and 17 and the heartbeat bill. And so remember, this is being driven by politics, not science, not truth. And it's also not being driven by experience because more and more patients, especially now that we're gonna be aborting more and more women in their bathrooms and bedrooms with this pill, this combination medication, pill, chemicals, in the privacy of their own home? Are we crazy? We're eating yeah. our own here. This yeah. has become, now they're kind of beginning to talk about, well, can you lose your license if you provide mis and disinformation on the abortion question, just like they did with the virus question. So once again, I think we're in a real struggle here, um, Janet, and I think you have your finger on the pulse. It was a political ploy, the language has changed, and I think the blessing now is that we can use the word abortion in our common conversation, and we all can begin to re reassess, what have I done, just like I did? But now it's across the states because it's in every state. And we have to talk about it with our neighbors and with our children and with our brothers and sisters. Right. Because I really think now's a moment to see who is a real member of our human family. Mm -hmm. And wouldn't you say that, um, you know, for just everyone out there, um, you know, if you have an OBGYN, um, and you go for your regular checkup, especially for women, you know, once a year, you go for the checkup, pregnant or not, you still go and go, to, you should go to see your OBGYN. <clears throat> Wouldn't it be good to, you know, when you have a moment, talk to your doctor and say something like, gee, I was just wondering, do you do, you don't even have to say the word abortion, but do you do terminations, abortions, stuff like that? And see their response and then say to them, if they say no, then say, Oh, do you belong to the pro-life OBGYNs, you know, within the OBGYN group? And see what they say. I mean, do you think that, in other words, is it helpful for the average person to ask their doctor some of these kind of questions? I think it's absolutely, I, I call it the, 
the conversation you know of conversion or of transformation when you begin to ask simple questions you know doc if my baby was sick would you recommend a termination for me because remember if the baby's healthy and it's wanted you'll never know but i think it's a great conversation to have with any provider midwife OBGYN, nurse practitioner pa because when everything goes well if there's a problem you want to be able to trust your doctor and just by asking that simple question you'll get a sense of where they're at and you may actually plant a seed especially if you have a good relationship with them one that is friendly enough where they could at least listen to you there's a right. lot of folks who just drop literature off and then you know don't engage i really think it's the conversation janet and the other piece is that the american association of pro-life OBGYNs, i believe is going to increase in number and they're providing an air a a grouping a, a, a community that shows that we're not alone that right. women women patients are demanding better yeah. because remember this is a controvert most americans don't want abortion on demand Mm -hmm. They really yeah. don't. And that's right. Well, talking <clears throat> about it, like you said, we can we can make a difference. That's right. Well, uh, I'm sure everyone is so interested about your story. And you have just written this marvelous book. Um, it's called Two Patients, which is that's what we've been talking about. Two Patients. Uh, it's called Two Patients, My Conversion from Abortion to Life Affirming Medicine by Dr. John Puchowski. And it's available at ignatiuspress.com or Amazon. I highly recommend to get this book. And I mean, you will be very inspired and it will help answer a lot of questions. And like we said, we're going to charge you with the job of talking to your OBGYNs and we'll get more guys in the, to the pro-life camp by just asking some questions. So Dr. Dr. Brzezowski, thank you so much. Many blessings. Continue the great work you're doing. And I, I hope this book becomes a bestseller. So thank you and God bless. Oh, Janet, thank you so much. God bless you. <clears throat> well, brothers and sisters, I hope we answered a lot of your questions today. You know, and we really, this book is marvelous. I've, I've read most of it and I highly recommend it. So really check out ignatiuspress.com or amazon.com. You will be very inspired to read this book and perhaps you know, maybe you could give it as a gift to your, your OBGYN. This might help inspire them. Maybe they're teeter-tottering about dabbling and doing an abortion here and there. And you could push them out of that camp and we could get them signed up for the pro-life OBGYNs, okay? That's our goal here. We want to make abortion for these doctors unthinkable that they would never think to terminate the life of an unborn child. So remember, brothers and sisters, there will be some abortions only you can stop and some lives only you can save. Join us again next time. This is Janet Marana, Executive Director of Priest for Life. Thank you and may God bless you. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.